Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, September 1st. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. President Joe Biden taking responsibility for the decision to evacuate from Afghanistan, promising an internal review of the massive but flawed effort to pull U.S. troops, Americans and Afghan civilians out of that country. In the aftermath of Ida, hundreds of thousands of residents in Louisiana still without electricity, parts of that state left uninhabitable, according to officials. And a major new abortion law in Texas effectively outlawing that procedure after six weeks of pregnancy, the Supreme Court refusing to take up the case. Now, will other states follow suit? This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. President Joe Biden continuing to defend his decision to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan, ending America's longest war. The commander-in-chief also taking on critics of the evacuation, which left some Americans behind. Meanwhile, in Kabul, Taliban militants celebrating their takeover as that group's control over Afghanistan begins to take shape. New scenes of Afghanistan are emerging now under Taliban control. This, as in Washington, President Biden remains defiant, doubling down on his decision to leave. I refuse to send another generation of America's sons and daughters to fight a war that should have ended long ago. The president saying new threats are now the United States' priority. There's nothing China or Russia would rather have, would want more in this competition in the United States to be bogged down another decade in Afghanistan. But the Taliban is tightening its rule on Afghanistan, seizing American military equipment left behind. The Taliban releasing this video, they say, shows their troops flying over the city of Mazar Sharif in an Afghan military helicopter. And holding a mock funeral, caskets draped with American and NATO flags, symbolizing their defeat. Despite these images of the Taliban in power, President Biden calling the evacuation an extraordinary success and not apologizing for the violent and even chaotic evacuation. Some say we should have started mass evacuation sooner. And couldn't this have been done, have been done in a more orderly manner? I respectfully disagree. The president acknowledging there are up to 200 U.S. citizens still in Afghanistan who want to leave and reaffirming his commitment to helping them escape. And for those remaining Americans, there is no deadline. We remain committed to get them out if they want to come out. But that will be a complicated task with no U.S. military forces in the country and no diplomatic presence. Michael, a teacher in Afghanistan and green card holder from Delaware, is now stuck there. He claims he tried going to the airport before U.S. forces left, but could not get through. I feel like, you know, all my life that I've lived in the United States, uh, the U.S. has turned their back on me and ignored me. Also trapped? An interpreter that says he helped save then-Senator Biden from an Afghan snowstorm in 2008. Congressional hearings and probes are slated for the coming weeks on a withdrawal that has drawn sharp criticism from both parties. The administration, meanwhile, says it will be launching its own internal review. 
And in other news out of the White House, President Biden will host Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky at the White House this afternoon. It's Zelensky's first time meeting with President Biden. A White House statement said the visit will affirm the United States' unwavering support for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity in the face of, quote, Russia's ongoing aggression. The White House also said the leaders are expected to discuss Zelensky's efforts to tackle corruption and implement a reform agenda based on their shared democratic values. And now to Louisiana, where parts of that state are dealing with devastating destruction in the wake of Hurricane Ida. Efforts to clean up are being hampered by power outages and supply chain disruptions. And officials are telling evacuees to stay away. Rafael Rodriguez has the latest. With no power and sweltering heat, those in Louisiana are waiting in long lines for a chance to find essential items like food and gasoline. Hurricane Ida knocking out water systems and shutting down cell phone service. As the days go on, residents are increasingly frustrated. It's the food issue, the water issue, I don't think that they have these things out quick enough. And with dangerous conditions after the storm, local leaders say it's tough to get resources to this state. The difficulty is the supply chain. They're having the same difficulties getting their supplies here as, as we're having, you know, living here. So it's going to take some time. Nearly a million homes and businesses in Louisiana have no electricity, and for many, it may be out for weeks. New Orleans already seeing some power restored to parts of the city today. Again, the expectation should not be, because it's not a real one, that the entire city uh, will be lit. But at Tulane University, classes are canceled until September 12th. Students loading into buses and evacuating to Houston where some will stay and others will make their way home. Even if we have power on campus, if power's out on all of New Orleans, you can't stay here. You can't go to, there's no food, there's no supplies. Um, it's, not a, it's not a good situation. Volunteers are trying to help, setting up in New Orleans to provide hot and cold meals. New Orleans is known for caring for our community and a lot of the ways that we show love is food. But with patients running thin, the governor urging people who evacuated to wait to return. And for some who stayed through the storm, it's time to begin cleaning up. In Laplace, one resident saying Ida was unlike any other hurricane she's experienced before. We kept telling ourselves it was just stuff, and as long as everybody was okay, that's all that mattered. Meanwhile, in Lafouche Parish, this neighborhood is now filled with debris remnants of where houses and other structures once stood. It was real scary. I wouldn't stay again. No way. But I just thank God we all made it. Floodwaters still surrounding homes in Grand Isle, where it could take years to rebuild. I've never seen it look like this. It's, uh, it's decimated. People are very sad. A lot of people have lost their homes talking about they don't know whether they'll be able to go back or not because they don't have the money to go back, can't afford to go back. Rafael Rodriguez. You news. It's really just terrible out there. And joining me now to talk about ongoing rescue efforts is Loren Martinez Dykes. She's the director of operations at Crowdsource Rescue, a Texas-based disaster response group watching and matching people who urgently need help with rescue teams on the ground. Thank you so much for being with us today, Lauren, and welcome to You News. Thank you. Thank you. 
Now your team of volunteers has already performed close to 400 water rescues. What are these teams encountering out there? Um, some of our teams were some of the first ones into the hardest hit areas on Sunday night. They were out there at 2, 3 a.m. and went through all nights in the Laplace location, which was a very hard hit area. Um, we saw watermarks on the buildings up to 10 feet high. That was where we saw the pictures of the people in the attics. Um, it became a very quick mass evacuation situation and that proceeded into Monday. So they've been seeing a lot of, uh, you know, it was urgent evacuation those first 24 hours. And for, since then, it's just been a lot of uh, tree clearing, uh, having to clear certain roads to make them passable for the people to get in and out, helping uh, give people the information for shelters or getting them to shelters. Food and water is, is the biggest thing right now that's being requested. Um, people are starting to run out of that in their home. Food, water, ice. Now, hundreds of thousands of people remain without power and there are long lines at gas stations. What are the greatest challenges for people, residents there and rescuers at this moment? Is it the high level of water or just the lack of resources? Um, not the water. The water has receded a good amount um, compared to past storms that we've seen. There's, it's still bad in certain areas, obviously, by the coast, um, but it's it's better. Um, the, the hard part is that they're, the need is there now. They have no roofs. They have, uh, they're have they in desperate need of tarping. Any groups and volunteers that can come in and start helping with tarping and getting people some sort of shelter in their homes. Not everybody can leave. Some of the shelters are seen, um, are getting full. And during that wait before they open more shelters, people have to stay in their home um, without being power. It With no power, it's extremely hot. Um, like I said, they're running out of water. There's no ice. There's no way to keep cool. So those are all, all things against them right now. It is a very complicated situation because a heat wave is expected to be hitting the area. And as you said, no electricity. Shelters are opening up and getting full rather quickly. And let's remember that COVID-19 is still out there. Now, crowd crowdsource started as a way to help people after Hurricane Harvey, which devastated Houston neighborhoods. How has the group evolved since then? Um, we've continued to provide assistance, uh, rescue assistance and relief assistance a majority of the time at, through every single um, hurricane that has hit after that, after Harvey. Uh, we've also helped with the, some of the California fires and we have actually been helping in Texas and nine counties for the last year and a half for the COVID situation by delivering food to those in need and those are, who are homebound, primarily seniors and those who are ill and can't get out to the store and delivering food to them every day. And it is completely volunteer based. So it's, it's a great effort. Now, how can viewers at home help? Is it through monetary donations or perhaps just getting some canned um, items and packing them perhaps through a church and shipping them out there? What's the best way to help out? Monetary, uh, you know, some people don't like to hear that, but that is the, the best way to donate. If even a dollar or two helps because that will go for us, it goes directly back into the people. If we need to get them water or food or most importantly, fuel. Fuel is, as you mentioned, is very hard to come by in the hard hit areas. And we, I mean, we just before this interview, we had a situation where we had a senior who's on oxygen. They're dependent on the oxygen and a generator and they're running out of fuel. We have to send volunteers so over an hour drive to go and get extra fuel and it is hard to come by. 
um, monetary donations come in very handy in that regard so that we can purchase that. If you are in a small town and you want to get things together, they can most definitely use tarps and food, non-perishables, etc. And volunteer your time. That's the best thing that we can ask for. Help your neighbor out. Um, you never know when you may need the help and they'll come and help you as well. Oh, thank you so much, Lauren Martinez, Dykes of the volunteer group CrowdSource Rescue. Thank you for all the work and the rest of the team, everything that they're doing out in the streets, helping out their neighbors. Take care. Thank you. Be safe. Around the country, hospitals are being pushed to their limits and school officials are worried about COVID's impact on their district's ability to teach. Grecia Lastra has the latest on the pandemic in America. Running out of room. We're looking to add space um, in hallways and conference rooms and waiting areas. Our emergency rooms and our urgent care centers are seeing higher volume than they've seen throughout this pandemic. With COVID-19 numbers still soaring, states with low vaccination rates are struggling the most. Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Florida, and Arkansas have less than 10% of their ICU capacity left, according to DHS data. Idaho's governor, after touring a health facility in Boise, announcing there were only four available ICU beds in the whole state. In Kentucky, overwhelmed hospitals are short on staff and beds. In Louisiana, where health resources are already at the breaking point, health officials fear Hurricane Ida could be a super spreader event as people shelter in large numbers. Oregon has called up 500 National Guard troops to bolster its struggling health care systems with 1,000 more on standby. Good morning, scholars. And then there's back to school. In the past week, more than 200,000 kids have tested positive for COVID, five times the number from the month before, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. In Florida's 15 largest school districts, a CNN analyst found close to 22,000 students and 5,000 employees have tested positive for COVID-19 since the start of the school. In Pennsylvania, where school is just starting, the Secretary of Health says coronavirus cases in children over the past six weeks are up 300 percent, prompting the governor to announce a mask mandate for schools. But there is some good news. Vaccination numbers have been on the rise. A new vaccination poll found the number of Americans who said they are not very likely or at all likely to get a COVID vaccine has dropped from 34 percent in March to 20 percent currently. Some states also reporting their COVID numbers are beginning to plateau, still high but not rising. For health officials, September may offer or not offer a light at the end of the tunnel. Right now, they'd settle for a little less dark. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. Two senior leaders from the FDA's Vaccine Review Office will soon be stepping down. Dr. Marion Gruber is retiring on October 31st as director of the Office of Vaccines Research and Review. And also Dr. Philip Cross is retiring in November as deputy director of the office. The retirements were announced in an internal agency email sent Tuesday. But these moves happening as discord grows within the FDA with some officials saying the Biden administration decided to push ahead with COVID booster shots before the agency's top scientists had a chance to weigh in. 
And in the meantime, the number of children testing positive for COVID has increased five-fold over the past month. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, more than 200,000 kids received a positive result last week. That number was just 38,000 during the week ending July 22nd. The increase comes at the same time kids in much of the country have been going back to school. Mortality rates for children, however, are still extremely low. The highest reported rate of kids dying from COVID was just 0.24% of infected children. And here's something surprising. The number of new cancer diagnoses went down in the first full year of the pandemic. This according to a study published Tuesday in the journal JAMA Network Open. The reason for the decline appears to be that many adults were not seeking out care or routine screening. The study was based on data from nearly 800,000 patients who tested positive for one of the eight most common cancers in the U.S. Researchers believe it's likely that many of those who did not seek out screening in the first full year of the pandemic now remain undiagnosed. And in travel news, Puerto Rico has been called out by the CDC as being a place with extremely high risk of COVID-19 for travelers that just one day after the governor of the island intensified measures because of surging infections. Here's Kelia Tejada with that story. Puerto Rico is the only Latin American location on the CDC's COVID-19 blacklist, advising Americans against traveling there. The Caribbean island is among the seven destinations that the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention escalated to a level four alert due to the very high risk of contracting the virus. The Caribbean nation has registered more than 2,800 deaths and 200,000 contagions. That led Governor Pedro Pierluisi to issue a new executive order limiting elective surgeries, closing shopping centers after midnight, and the implementation of a dry law, among other measures. We know that there are crowds of people late at night, and we know when people drink alcoholic beverages, they tend to lower their guard. The measures extended also to businesses. We are following the executive order and requesting the CDC card, or if the person can show they are excluded. I think it's excellent because we can avoid contagions and everything in order. Signs demanding vaccination card and COVID-19 tests are already seen in the island shopping centers. The person who wants to enter the business has to have a negative test. I don't find it fair for people who don't want to be vaccinated. Over 60% of the population has been vaccinated. But some are resisting inoculation. All citizens on this island are being forced to produce papers on their current state of health. And in view of increasing the case in children, authorities did not roll out implementing greater measures to prevent outbreaks of COVID-19 in schools. Reported in San Juan, Puerto Rico by Indira Navarro, this is Kelia Tejada, U News.
As of this morning, Texas now has one of the strictest abortion bans in the country. The controversial law taking effect today after the U.S. Supreme Court declined to block it. The new law prevents women from getting abortions after six weeks of gestation, and that's before many even know they're pregnant. The law also allows citizens to sue anyone who helps a woman obtain an abortion. Legal experts see the law as a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade, the landmark decision legalizing abortion. It's unclear if the law will stay on the books or further legal action will then stop it. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court is poised to rule on a 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi. And for more on this developing story, let's go to Paula Saldana, Texas Field Coordinator for the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. Paula, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. What does this decision mean exactly, and what are the implications for the nation's second most populous state? Well, it, it means that right now Texas is having the most extreme abortion ban in the whole country. Um, we are facing a radical six-week ban on abortion care that, like all other abortion restrictions, is going to greatly impact our immigrant communities the most. Now, the law also says that anyone can sue those who help a woman obtain an abortion. Can you talk to us about that aspect of the law and how unique is that compared to other efforts to limit access to abortion? Yeah, so as of today, Texas, Texans are facing state-sanctioned harassment um, with a 10000 bounty or, or fine. That he, and that only encourages neighbors and friends and families to pry into each other's most intimate lives. Um, we know that it, it wasn't enough for extreme politicians to ban insurance coverage for abortion. Um, it's just this is just adding layers to the baseless restrictions. Um, so and, and, and one of the aspects of this law, and I'm not an expert on policy, I can talk to you about the field, because that is what I, I work in and I, and I get to hear stories and things like that. Um, but the community is a little concerned because anybody what the law states is that anybody that helps a, a Texan ob obtain care, and this would include decisions to nurses, to friends, or maybe just a family member that's going to take care of your child or give you a right to the clinic, would be subject to being investigated, targeted, and even sued for providing that particular support. Now, I suppose that women in Texas will now have to travel outside of the state to get an abortion. What will the impact be on Latinas and women of color in particular? Well, it, 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 so it greatly impacts the, the immigrant community the most. Um, uh, we, in, in Texas, 100 miles from the border, we have what are called checkpoints. Um, and folks that don't have documentation to be able to cross those checkpoints are not going to be able to access the service anywhere else. If, so if we don't have clinics available in Texas or, or if they reach that six-week mark that they're talking about, and they're going to um, need to seek care somewhere else, it's going to be impossible for them to get through that checkpoint. Now, can the Supreme Court still lack, and is there perhaps any understanding as to why it didn't even weigh in? My, like, like I said, I'm not an expert on policies, but my understanding is that, yes, the Supreme Court can still um, um, block this and, and on the meantime and then, and then make a decision. But my understanding is that, yes, we, we still ho have hope. But what's important also is that the community is becoming aware of this and 
we are getting organized and we're going to um, be mo um, start mobilizing ourselves and, and help the community mobilize so that we can fight for access for reproductive health care. How likely uh, is it to see some legal challenges to this new law? In, in um, I know that in um, there is a lot of possibility that um, or there is I know that there is a lot of agencies and organizations that are joining forces to to fight back and and make this happen make this be um, completely blocked. Well, we will have to wait and see what unfolds with this. Thanks so much for your time, Paula Saldana of the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. Thank you. And also in Texas, lawmakers there have approved a sweeping voting restrictions bill. That measure now heads to the desk of Governor Greg Abbott, who has said he will sign it. Other states, including Florida and Georgia, have enacted similar bills. Democrats say the bill is meant to benefit Republicans because the restrictions largely impact people who tend to vote for Democrats. That includes black voters and other communities of color. The passage of the Texas bill follows a dramatic move by Democrats. Democratic state lawmakers to delay the measure. They fled Texas for weeks to prevent the House from having the quorum necessary to vote on that bill. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is warning companies not to comply with an investigation into the deadly January 6th insurrection. The California Republican took to Twitter, issuing a veiled threat to those telecom companies and social media companies that cooperate with the House Select Committee's request, warning that, quote, a Republican majority will not forget, end quote. All this after the House Select Committee took its first step in the investigatory process on Monday, requesting that more than 30 social media and telecom companies preserve the phone records of certain lawmakers and members of former President Trump's circle in the days and hours before the January 6th riot. And some important news today regarding a key pillar of financial security for those 62 and over. Social Security will have to cut benefits in the year 2034 if Congress does not act. And that's according to an annual report from the program and Medicare trustees. 2034 is a year earlier than previously projected, and that's because COVID-19 caused a drop in employment and a loss of corresponding payroll tax dollars. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Now closer to the border between Mexico and Guatemala, operations continue to detain migrants in that state of Chiapas. Yesterday, Central Americans and Haitians who were resting in a plaza were assaulted by authorities, and now the UN is decrying that violence. Gianni Aponte has more. Operations to detain migrants in Chiapas in southern Mexico continued. 
In the Mapastepec Plaza, migration agents and the National Guard surrounded several Central Americans and Haitians who had spent the night there. Migration came down, so we ran out, and already they had taken my wife, and there were four children left, my son among them. Wilfred was left with only one of his children. Children alone, they took three, two girls and one boy alone that the mother is here. Afterwards, the woman agreed to be arrested in order to be reunited with them. And those who managed to flee were chased down. Migrants decided to stay in the square to rest for the day and wait for hundreds who were a few hours behind. As you can see, there are many people with wounds in their feet, wounds in their arms. I am also with a wound in the head. This Honduran is one of those who made it through the police checkpoint that the Mexican agents formed before yesterday blocking the entire highway. The only choices were to run into the bush or throw ourselves in the ravine. We had nothing else to do. Among those arrested today is Derino Zavron, a Haitian migrant who over the weekend confronted the National Guard with his daughter in his arms. I fall on the ground with my daughter, and in my head the only thing is to protect her. The National Migration Institute says it has suspended two agents who beat several detainees. The UN and the National Human Rights Commission demanded that their rights be respected. For now, authorities have not yet said how many migrants have been arrested. It is not a voluntary decision. Rather, they are people who are forced to leave their countries. Reported by Jessica Zermeño, this is Gianni Ponte for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.